you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Coming up on Total Access, The Locker Room. I get a call from a very well-known and massively intelligent uh, agent that I have a ton of respect for. I won't bother mentioning his name right now. And he said to me, and Smitty was on the speakerphone, don't effing move. Welcome to NFL Total Access, The Locker Room. I'm Michael Robinson alongside Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick. Coach, what's going down? Ready to go. Let's go. Let's go, man. We're going to let you guys in on what players and coaches really talk about inside the locker room. The draft is here, so we wanted to get a GM's point of view, and we got a great guest. Former GM Thomas Dimitrov is joining us, and you guys aren't going to believe some of the stories he has about War Room and being able to get get his scouts in order. It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, and you're going to get some real insights into how that War Room works and the interaction between scouts and coaches. Let's welcome in former executive of the year and one of the best talent evaluators out there, Coach, Thomas Dimitrov. Thomas, welcome to the Total Access Podcast. What's going on, brother? I am. I'm, uh, this was the one I was looking forward to already. I, I haven't gotten to the back end of this week, but I'm looking forward to talking football with you guys. You guys are so real. That's what I love about it. Yeah, we try to be, we try to be, we try to be. So look, we start every, we start every episode off with the locker room story. I know you're a general manager, so you may have, I don't know, war room stories for us, but nothing that we talk about on TV, TV, you know, uh, you can't say, but so much on TV. Right. But in this podcast, we do keep it all the way. 1000, not 100, 1000, uh, Thomas. Okay. So this is your opportunity to give us your locker room story. Let, let's, you know, let's go to the draft room. Let's go 2011. Smitty and I were there, as you know, Brian, we, we were rolling. We were in a little bit of an extended honeymoon, which we loved. <laughs> we had some swagger about us and we decided we were going to do, you know, we're going to do that trade, right? We were going to make that move for Julio Jones. And uh, we both agreed that although crazy, you know, compensation, we were going to do it. And I remember we had it all agreed upon and, uh, Arthur and I were all knotted up. You know, I had to start dressing better. I mean, Brian, before I moved from Boulder, I only had plaids and you know, boots and everything. Now you so had to get a clip-on right pie. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we were all tied up and everything was proper. 
Arthur and I, and you know, Arthur, he probably comes up to you now. He'll, he's just a touchy huggy guy. And he, we were arm in arm. We had NFL network TV on and we had ESPN up and we were all there. And as you can imagine this draft room, I got to play it for you. It wasn't like new England when I was there where there were 10 or 10 or 12 people. I don't know how you did it, how many you had in mm -hmm. Baltimore if, where your draft room was, right. Brian, but Arthur was, he had dignitaries, man. We had dignitaries. <laughs> we had, we had limited partners. And, and then we had all of our scouting staff. We were arm in arm watching. And all of a sudden there was all this hullabaloo about there's a trade. Atlanta at number 27 believes they're ready for a Super Bowl. They believe they have to be more electri electrified, excuse me, in that division. They got to score better. They got to give Matt Ryan more tools to win. I'm looking for Atlanta to come up here to get Julio Jones, that young man from Alabama, right there to move from 27 to 6. Wow. We moved, of course, up from uh, 27 to 6, and everyone was wondering what was going to happen, and they announced the, the, the Falcons are on the, on, the, on the clock, and, oh, my God, I can't believe What are they thinking? How could they move <laughs> up that much? Arthur's smiling and proud as a peacock that he knows what we're going to do. They announced – you know, the Falcons are trading for Julio Jones. The Cleveland Browns have traded the sixth pick to the Atlanta Falcons. With the sixth pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Atlanta Falcons select Julio Jones, wide receiver, Alabama. First thing that happens, and I've never seen this in my life, and I've, I've been around it quite a long time as well, there's John Gruden, and John Gruden proceeds Play after play after play. I swear to God, in my imagination, maybe, but it was 17 <laughs> drops in a row. Why are they doing this? And with each drop, Brian, his arm, my arm, and, huh. and our arms were falling closer to the sides. <laughs> so eventually we just unlocked arms and we we're like, and he's going, What the <laughs> hell are you doing? <laughs> exactly. And of course, I turned around and, and uh, had some choice words for John. Since then, we've, we've joked about it a little bit, of yeah. course, but. I remember that being a really, really stellar moment in the draft room. Well, oh, let me let me jump in if I may, Thomas. And, and people are always asking about that draft process. And obviously, it's an incredibly, you know, that movie with Kevin Cosner came out on draft day. And and for those who saw the movie, they need to know they took a year's worth of conversations and put it into one day. All the, <laughs> yeah. the trades and the evaluate. He did that that morning and then draft, which obviously doesn't happen. Talk about particularly we're right now as, as we're talking, we're we're a couple of days away from the draft. A little bit about that that process that for you guys because it is different mm -hmm. in terms of the scouts and the coaches and the owner and all the interaction that has to happen to get you to the point like making a trade for Julio Jones. Well, I, I think you would agree with this, and 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 Mike, you've been around some really good you know organization, i.e. Seattle, and and seeing mm -hmm. how it's working when. And I'm a big I'm a big believer in this. You have to be on the same wavelength. The, the team, the co-team builders, the GM and the head coach, head coach and GM, 100 percent have to be in lockstep. Of course, there's going to be conversations and such. But with each staff, I think it's really important to understand. And it starts, as we all know, the, the, the GM and the personnel staff have to sit down with the head coach and his coordinators and his position coaches and truly go through a, a seminar, like a learning uh, you know, idea a symposium to, to really understand what is needed. That is 
vitally important. If you are at loggerheads and, and misunderstanding what is needed in certain schemes as a personnel, as a GM and as a personnel department, you are lost. I don't care how good your coaching staff is. I don't care how good your scouting staff is. You know, you're missing. So really, really important at the outset of each season to make sure you're on, you know, uh, on cue with what is expected and what is needed. And that, that every year needs to be, I think, refreshed because there are changes. There may be changes in coordinators. There may be changes in position coaches. The, the process uh, starts back in the spring, of course. But think about this. And, and I've always said this, Brian. We started scouting that group for a certain draft uh, 14 months basically ahead. Wow. This was not one where we just kind of finished the season and we jumped into the all-star season. You know, I believe the really good and sound organizations uh, in scouting, of course, provide a lot of background and a lot of backdrop for their adept coaching staffs. So it's really, really important. A lot of research. It's not just the evaluation guys, as, as you well know, it's, mm -hmm. there's a research element to me as a general manager that was vital. If you had a group of personnel men who were gathering the right information and researching properly and providing, again, your, your, your coaching staff with really good sound information, what a great kickoff that is for when the coaches are done their season and they're able to jump into the college scene and free agency, of course, which is important after the season, they're teed up. It's very important to make sure that the coaching staff is teed up. That's such an important part of this process. I have said time and again, and, and I would say this and, and stand strong on this. There was never one player that with Smitty and with, with, uh, with uh, Dan Quinn that I went against because I come from a, a coaching background before my dad got into scouting, I 100% believe if your head coach and, you know, his, his loyal, whoever that is, if it's the coordinator on each side is not for a certain player, there's no way I would ever want to force and continue to press someone. Sure. You would try to convince if yeah. you believed in it strongly, but in the end, Brian, if you as a head coach didn't like a player, I just think, you know, that's uh, for lack of a better word, like it is, it is, it, it's deleterious to your organization. And especially if you do more than one of those, that can be really, really bad develops a bad trust, but it also, there's no way I'd want to sit there and put the organization on the line when your coaching staff isn't behind the player that you want. Yeah. That's just bad business. That's what it seems like to me. You know what I mean? It's going to seem like there's just going to be a bunch of uh, uh, people going against each other. And I know you don't want conflict within your organization. Um, my question is, is a kind of a two parter um, and it may sound very generic, um, but I'm interested in how you put your draft board together, obviously um, for, for, uh, for each year. And how do you manage that, team need versus oh my goodness this guy's just a hell of a player we can't we, we just can't pass up on so let's start a draft board and I, again mm. i could go into massive detail and we could spend <laughs> a whole hour on it but if i can uh, attempt to break it down a little bit again basically as as you all know we're over the top we're we're matched literally you know we're matched with our offensive board and our defensive board across the top and then we we obviously stack our players by position Mm -hmm. vertically uh, the best grade, of course, on top and the worst grade on the bottom. We had a, we basically had a front board of O and D in, 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 in our situation in Atlanta, a backboard who are, you know, more the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounders. 
And then we had a sideboard, which was a lot of free agents that were set up. We were right in our view, but they were to the side, of course. And we were very particular over the months, especially we would set up a general uh, stack of our, of our, of our college uh, draft board in December Again, understanding that the coaches were still very involved in the process mm-hmm. of coaching the football team. So they weren't involved at that point. We were trying to get the board as close to possible, as close to being where we wanted it to be to kick it off and kick it over to the coaching staff, where we had our second set of meetings in February after the coaches started to become more involved, a lot more involved, of course. Uh, that was really important for us. So we started with a light massage and then as the mm-hmm. coaches and the and the scouts started working together, usually we would have a, a position coach with one of our scouts and they would really drill down and tr- really try to massage that board and stack that board to a point where we really got comfortable as an organization by position, uh, by grade, which was really important for us. And, you know, in the very end, we also had a grading scale in Atlanta that was horizontal in the sense of there were certain grades that were higher by certain position, even though it might've still been, you had a third corner and a, and a third receiver, mm-hmm. but that third corner might be a little bit higher on the draft board than the third corner, just because we felt that that person was much, uh, you know, much more important or not much more or a little bit more important than the other player. So, that was something that we spent a lot of time on and that wasn't always the easiest. And, and yeah. from the outside, people would look at our draft grading scale, which came over from Bill uh, Belichick and, and Scott Pioli. And we did a lot of morphing of that, that, that grading scale is probably with uh, and board setup is probably with six, um, probably yeah. seven or eight organizations right now, mm. but everyone has take, taken it and, and morphed it and adjusted it to, you know, to the coach and the general manager, which again is the most important thing. Uh, in my mind, that the two uh, team builders understand it. And that was the basis for our board, because, as you know, Ozzy worked with Bill Belichick. And I know, like you said, it goes through a lot of iterations. And and I view it, I'm interested in how you handled it. And 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 it obviously was different with the Bill Belichick, who, in terms of the setup you had in, in New England and what you and Mike Smith did. And for those that don't, Mike Smith's my brother-in-law, so kind of a qualifier <laughs> there. Mike was with me for a long, long time, was in Baltimore, and then went on. Now, the way we would go, and Ozzy, you know, Ozzy Newsom, we all know, is just one of the great general managers in the game. Maybe one of the best listeners I've ever been around. Because at the end of the day, whether it's you or an Ozzy Newsom, you have to take all this information in. And then you got to process it. And I, I always equate it to that uh, Russell Crowe and a beautiful mind. You know, you have all this information and <laughs> yeah. I can just see in your mind that names are coming off the board. But I viewed my job was to kind of stir it up a little bit. I was going to stir it up. I was going <laughs> to sit during the readings and I may or may not believe it, but I'm going to turn to a scout or a coach and listen to them read about a, play, a player and kind of go, you know, I'm not seeing it, man. You got to conv- I want to see their courage of their conviction. And with Ozzy, I would prod him during the course of the weeks leading up to it, just pepper them with some questions. And right about now is when I would get the, you know, we all, we're all married and you, you know, you, that look you get from your wife when it's like, (laughs) I've had enough. Yes. No more coach. I I would get that look and I go, okay, I'm done stern, but tell me because you talk about it being uniform, but there had to be a little creative tension that that you and Mike and, and work through. Oh no, you're, you're exactly right. And that, those are fun times when you look back at it, obviously when, when no longer the tension exists. Yeah. I mean, the, the check and balance element of it is, is so important. I mean, 
look, there are going to be people on the scouting side who are worried about going against what the general manager thinks and the same thing on this, on the coaching side. So they may agree. I've always thought Brian, that it was, it was my business as a general manager, first and foremost, of course, to be, you know, the best evaluator I could be for Smitty and for, for, for Dan as, as two really good head coaches and, I take a lot of pride that we had very good working relationships because I think it is vital. Also, my, my very important duty was to know the strengths and the weaknesses of not only the players on the board, but of our scouting staff, uh. of, our, of our personnel directors and of our various scouts, because there are some, as you well know, hit it out of the park evaluating linebackers, but that same scout, <laughs> God bless his heart, really struggled when he had to deal with the center or yeah. the receiver. Yeah. That was my, my, especially as the years went on, Brian and Michael, I had to really hone in. And I, that's something that I took a lot of pride in knowing where we were going to go and communicate that to Smitty. Like when Smitty might say to me, Hey, look, you know, X scout really likes this guy as a receiver. And I might have to be very honest, you know, I wouldn't do it in front of anyone, embarrass anyone. I'd say, remember, you know, he's very good at these positions and great at researching, but we have to remember where he is on this position. So that was important. And I would say the same thing. And I'm sure you would agree with this. You had a really important uh, role as well outside of your coaching to know who your, who your strong evaluators were, you know, as, as coaches and, and who were really good on the field and could develop players and scheme. But when it came to evaluating, there were some guys that just didn't have a knack for that. At least that was my experience. And, and Mike and I, and both Dan and Mike and I had some really good discussions about that, which I thought were really, really important for organizations to know. Uh, Thomas, talk to us about any real like tension that's been in the war room. Um, I'm sure it, it comes up. A coach likes to call it that creative fellowship or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but uh, talk to us about a time where maybe, you know, it was a scout pounding the desk for a certain player or whatever. And maybe, you know, you or maybe you and the head coach maybe didn't see it the same way, but you had a scout basically saying, no, this has to happen. Has there any, has it been any of those types of times in the war room? You know, our, our situation might be different. And, and Brian, I, I would love to hear your take on it. Ours was, we did a lot of our fighting before we got to the mm -hmm. draft room. When Arthur was there, we made sure that we, we had some really pointed conversations uh, with the coaches and the scouts. And, and I thought it was very productive when we got there on draft day. Uh, those, I will tell you this, and I'm not embarrassed to say it. They knew their place in that draft room. And I would turn to them as, as, as both head coaches that I worked with would turn to them and ask them every once in a while uh, about a player, but they had their reports in front of them and they knew what was, you know, what was said. Of course, we would dig into every once in a while, character wise, we would go to a scout, of course, to remind us, we would go to the back of the room and talk to the medical people a little bit, or the athletic performance guy who was evaluating from a different perspective. We would, you know, do a little bit of proper and appropriate spinning around the room. Rarely were there any arguments. If, if we ever sensed that we would step out of the room, quite honestly, it was funny. I mean, Mike and I did it and Dan and I did it. And, and every once in a while we thought we'd have some privacy there and we'd be mulling it over, uh, Brian and there'd be Arthur coming out knocking yeah. on the door. Hey, can, can I, I come in? in? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, those were, those were fun, but I, you know, look, I remember speak, speaking of tension in the draft room, it wasn't necessarily there it was after a pick, you guys are going to kick out of this. We were sitting there, and if you guys – do you guys recall um, uh, Tack McKinley when he took him yes. a few years ago? Hell of an athlete, could do a lot of great things. Of course, he had his, he had his, 
his uh, he's had his stuff to deal with, of course. And all of a sudden he starts dropping these F-bombs. I made a promise to her. Like I said, I was going to go D1. I was going to get out of Richmond. I was going to get out of Oakland. I was going to live my dreams play in the NFL. And I'm here, man. I completed the promise. That means every thing to me. Excuse my language. Man, find me later, man. Find me later, man. This means everything to me. Now, I'm sitting there kind of a little similar to the locking of the arms. And I look across the table and with each one of the F-bombs, I can see Arthur being like, you know, kind of whatever he does with his lip or his mouth. And I'm like, oh, all of a sudden I'm holding my phone, right? Because I knew media, you know, just stuff was going on. And I hear a ping and it's like, take care of this now. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, come on, Tack, you got you to be. And of course, he was so overly overridden with uh, emotion, of course, because of yeah. his grandmother and such. But it was yeah. a funny, it was a tension time for me again. We used to, uh, as, as you know, we'd do our readings. And Mike, obviously, that's as you close in on the draft, you sit and you, this mind numbing hour after hour of going through all the reports with the scouts and the coaches. And it's just, there's only so what I ended up doing because there's a lot of things you got to do as well as a coach. I had a microphone set up in the draft room that I could listen in my office to the readings and then I could look at film. If oh, we were wow. talking about a guy, then I could throw some film on and not interrupt the other guys and listen to it that way. And it worked both ways. And occasionally, you know, there'd be a break or whatever, and guys would forget, and you get and get, you know, guys are gonna. <laughs> moan and complain oh, i don't know why and, and occasionally i'd chip it on like god i'd go guys you know i can hear you right <laughs> and you talk about some people scrambling around now coming out of that room it was what uh, did i say did, did i <laughs> was i right with that there, there's one and, and i think it's very apropos right now because we're in this coming draft we're all talking about you know the five quarterbacks where they're going to go and quarterback position is so pivotal i want to go back to your time because i think it's very applicable you took a Matt Ryan. With the third pick in the 2008 NFL Draft, the Atlanta Falcons select Matt Ryan, quarterback, Boston College. Okay, and I, and I go back to 2008. Now, two teams passed on Matt Ryan, but two teams that needed a quarterback. Yep. Uh, then St. Louis and Miami. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, they're bored because, as you know, Thomas, I don't care how great a player is. If you've got a franchise quarterback available – that trumps all all boards. The, there, there is no rank. I don't care how good the tackle is. I don't care if he's going to be a Hall of Fame defensive end. If you need a quarterback and you think there's and your board says there's a franchise quarterback, it doesn't matter what the ranking is. So obviously, the reason I'm saying that is so obviously there are two teams that didn't value Matt Ryan the way you do, and I, I did. And I remember during that draft there were some questions as usual. Tell me about that process that you worked through to come to the decision with, with Mike and, and all the personnel people that Matt Ryan was the guy to make the third, third overall pick. It's a great question. There was so much involved. And let me first say, uh, Brian, and I 100% in the back of my mind, I knew that you were educating Smitty on the quarterback. You had a D coordinator coming in. I thought we were going to have the most kick-ass defense. It's what I always wanted all my life, to have this madman defense. And I realized, here I am, who looking at quarterbacks going, like, this is how we're going to survive in this business. And Smitty, the same. I'm like, I thought Smitty was going to be pushing back. Let's, who was the D lineman they were talking about us drafting during that? It was a guy from LSU. I, he didn't work out or pan out. So, thank God. We were never, ever thinking about that. 
So you influenced Mike very well. So thank you because we wouldn't have lasted more than two years. Smitty had three coach of the years, as you know, yeah. I was fortunate, fortunate to be lauded a couple of years as, as well, but that had a lot to do with a really strong decision. And we spent a lot of time on deciding on quarterback and a lot of discussions with Arthur, of course, with our coaching staff, with our scouting staff. And like you said, we beat people up and we, we look at shortcomings and we just, we, we second guess, we do that up and down the line, especially when you're talking about quarterbacks, because you, you know, it's not only, you know, the athleticism, the decision-making, the accuracy, the arm strength, there are so many other elements and layers who you're, you're obviously expert in, and you know about that position so well that we were, were learning on the fly as neophyte general manager and, and head coach, <laughs> but we knew deep down that what we really needed was a guy who was going to have a really sound understanding of the team. He was going to be very smart. Of course, we had him up on the board. All of that was great for us, but for me and for, for Smitty, it was imperative that we had someone that was going to come into that building and take over for, you know, after the Michael Vick debacle, let's right. call it. Yeah, yeah. Which was yeah. another element. Mm -hmm. That was, that was another element. We couldn't, there's no way we could have just flailed around and had someone midline coming in to take that position. So it, it, it helped precipitate our decision. And again, there's so much involved in that and I could go on forever. I'm so glad we did a another story. I'd love to share quickly. If, if I may, Yeah, go ahead. Um, we were talking about information recently and where it comes from. And not only, as you know, it doesn't come just from other general managers to me as a general managers or, or other head coaches or your, your coaching uh, fraternity, um, you know, Brian, it, it comes all over. It could come from, let's call it the way it is. We don't like to admit it. Now we're maybe on the media side a little bit right. <laughs> there. We all have media connections. I mean, one that was like people many years ago would just be like taking shots at me right now for saying this, but we were also dealing with a lot of agents, you know, even then, and I remember wow. Smitty and I were in my office and this was just before the kickoff of the draft fairly quick. And I, I don't know if you knew this story or not, but you, you probably did. Of course it had to do with Baltimore, but we literally, we get a call and someone tells us Ozzy's moving up. They're going to hop you be, you know, what are you going to do? And I'm sitting there talking to, to Mike and to Mike's credit, Mike was tried and true about it. He was like strong and stout about it. And he's like, no, I don't think so. And I said, well, let's, let's, let's take a deep breath here. Let's make sure you know, I'm trying to play the GM saying, yeah. okay, I get that. But if, if we get, if we get jumped in our first year in this, in this role, this could be devastating because it, not only is it the, the position, but I'm a big believer. You're in that draft room again, back to want, want, want moments. And you're mm -hmm. taking someone and you're like completely deflated. There were just a lot of things going through my mind. I get a call from a very well-known and massively intelligent uh, agent that I have a ton of respect for. I won't bother mentioning his name right now. And he said to me, and Smitty was on the speakerphone, don't F and move. And they're, they're rumored to come up. They're not going to do it. They're really strong on it, but it's not going to happen. Don't make that move. Don't hold your water. I could not believe that I heard that from an agent. It wasn't the end all be all, but it, it gave us that extra little piece of information that we all need during the draft preparation. And it was, it was amazing that it happened to us during a time where what if we did, we would have given up something. What if we didn't, what if we held back and someone did, you know, trade away and, and all of a sudden Matt wasn't with us again. I don't think uh, Smitty and I would have served the years we did. 
Man, that's a lot to have to think about as a general manager. I'm glad I, I sit on this side of the media and I never had your job, Thomas, because it seems like you had a lot to think about, brother. But I, I, I'm going to take you here to, to the social injustice part here. Atlanta uh, has done a great job in the community. I've always been in the community. Um, Arthur Blank has always been in the community um, and, and helping out. Now, when I was coming through the coming up through the draft, um, I was and I remember Vince Young and myself actually talking about this at the combine. I was getting asked questions like, hey, you know, you're you know, talking about my grandmother, you know, asking about, you know, my mother being a single parent, things like that. But yet when we talked to Matt Leinart, he didn't get that same line of question. Mm -hmm. I guess my question is, is that something I always wanted to ask a general manager manager this? Is that something that is just something that's in the scouts minds or is it something that's actively talked about? Do you guys teach scouts actually how to engage the players during when they're doing the interviews and things like that? Or do you just rely kind of on their personal skills um, to, to, to get the information that they need? Well, I think more so lately, of course, you have to walk the, the proper line. Of course, people need to be very particular about how they're inquiring. You know, we, we were given mandates from the league over the last few years, what to right. ask and what not to ask. And, and Brian would completely understand with this, Michael. I mean, mm -hmm. years ago, it, it was a, it was a wild, wild West element of asking questions. I mean, my God, some of the questions mm -hmm. that were asked, you know, I'm a pretty open-minded liberal person as far as asking questions just, or, or as far as anything. Yeah. And I was, I was sometimes blown away that we would, we would ask questions as a league. And I, it, it started to agitate me more because I thought we, we have to be a lot smarter about this. And luckily we did. And it, it took a little bit of mandating from the league. I think now um, what happens just so you know, when I talk about scouts, they're not just evaluators of talent, of course, research is a big, big part of their job. And when they go out and research through all of their contacts at the schools they are in, and, you know, it could be the coaching staff, it could be the, the uh, academic people, it could be the support staff, it could be people in town. They're digging up as much information, not bad information. Their, their goal isn't just to go out there. I need dirt on this guy. Their goal is to go out there and, and figure as much as possible the total makeup of this individual and see if they are a fit for their team. That's what they are. Um, you know, that's what they're, they're, um, you know, conditioned to, to believe and to do and to, and to hone in on. And um, that's their job, part of a big, big part of their job. So when they, when they notice, or, you know, when they pick up different parts of information or when they, when they're interacting with some of their other scouts, because called the way it is, Scouts aren't just in their own world. The Southeastern Scout Group or the Northwesters, I was a part of the Nor Northwesters, Brian. I mean, we, it, <laughs> I was a young dude when I got out there. It was a, it, you know, there were some great guys, a lot of old guys. And, man, they schooled me. You want to talk about – that's a whole other position to talk about and a whole other place on this spectrum to talk about. But we would – you know, you, you share information in certain ways, not about your draft board, but you're sharing information because you all kind of have each other's backs because no one wants to lose their job because they didn't have mm. the proper information. I remember I was uh, – this is a crazy situation. I was scouting out west. I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and I was up in, uh, in UW and uh, without getting into details about who it was. Yeah. And I remember – we 
we draft a guy, a linebacker from UW, and I'm thinking, okay, he's a fourth or fifth rounder. I'm not, I'm thinking, you know, we got a guy, guy could possibly help us. And it was a matter of two or three days later, there's this big deal about, you know, arrested for drug trafficking. It was oh, like, oh, it was geez. the worst oh, thing that a goodness. scout wants to hear. Right. Because you take it so personally, you want to be an expert in your area. You want to have all the information you want to provide your people with the right. And I was, I was still fairly young in it. I mean, mm-hmm. I was an area scout out in the West. And so I get a call the very next morning. Hey, I heard you just got fired. It was just some random media oh, person. Wow. I didn't even know. And I thought, oh, this, this is not going well. So the reality is, uh, without spinning off on that, is there is there's so much information that we, we take personally and we want to present. And sometimes it comes out in questions that, 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 you know, that we feel like we have to ask, but we have to be a lot more particular about it, of course. I don't know if that answers your question. No, thank you. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah. For real, that, that really did answer it. Thank you. Let me, Thomas, I want to ask you before we finish up here and uh, it, it connected with the Matt Ryan, because I just, I think Matt Ryan's been a, it was a phenomenal pick. You're right. It, it built for you and Mike going forward and the foundation of the organization and changed the whole profile of it. Atlanta has the fourth pick. Mm. And there are a lot of quarterbacks there. Give me some insight as to I'm one that thinks they should not draft a quarterback. I think, I think Matt Ryan still has a lot of playing time left. I think that creates a very dangerous dynamic that's hard for teams to negotiate. If it's a okay, you can look at Patrick Mahomes and they did it behind Alex Smith. Well, Kansas City was a good football team. Yes, they were. <laughs> and you look at Bryce Love, uh, Jordan uh, uh, behind uh, yep, Aaron Rodgers. Well, Green Bay's pretty good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Atlanta is in a different situation, but you've got to have a little bit of eye for future. Talk about how you would be looking that right now. Someone who's very loyal to Matt Ryan, and, and I'm sure you still think he can play, but would you think about <laughs> drafting a quarterback and beginning that difficult transition? Well, you know, you have unbelievably valid points there, and I've gone round and round on those. That said, and respectfully, I sit there and I think about the, the evolution of that organization and where Matt is and where Matt thrives and where, where Matt is, you know, showing signs. I still believe, and I want to make this clear that he can win a Super Bowl. I truly yeah. believe that I believe I pieces around him. You utilize him in the right situation. And hopefully Arthur Smith has a really good understanding about how he, how he wants to use him. As you know, you know, Kyle, when Kyle had him there, moving him, moving him and getting him out in the outside zone. And you yeah. can talk much more than I can about that. Of course, put him in that spot. I believe he can. I also believe this is, this is where maybe you and I maybe differ a little bit is when I, when I really hone in on it, I think it's, it's responsible of the organization to truly look and see, yes, there's going to be issues with potentially Matt being in the same room, but hopefully they're never up at four again. And if, if uh, let's just say fields is there, if that happens to be the guy, and, and again, I don't know if you agree with this, but my feeling is, is there an element of Brett Favre and, and Aaron Rodgers? I'm not saying they're the same quarterbacks and Matt yeah. Ryan and, and Justin Fields to allow someone to be in that room for a couple years. It seems, you know, theoretically like that seems smooth. Let Matt win a Super Bowl and let him around for a couple more years. Again, great deal of respect for him and then have the heir apparent there waiting Seems easy, right? Not that easy as well. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot in that situation, as you know, in this city, in Atlanta, you get someone waiting in the wings. And, and to your point, probably Matt has a tough game. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's complicated. So that's my, that's my point in that if you want to do that with the 26th pick with Aaron Rodgers, fine. But if you do it with the fourth pick, yeah, that's yeah. your starter. 
And so you've put a clock and I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do. Cause maybe like you did with Mike, let's get my quarterback together at the right time and go forward, but then let Matt Ryan move on. And there'll be a lot of takers, let him go. Cause to have him stay there and work that relationship with the fourth pick, mm-hmm. boy, that just, that's got to me, it's got disaster written all over it. Doesn't mean it's the wrong thing to do. I just don't know how that works with a guy, the value of a, of a, of a, Matt Ryan and how that orchestrates on a team that still has a lot of needs. I personally, well, if we can continue, I know we're, we're almost yeah, finished no, you're here. You're good, brother. That w- really, really valid point on that. Fourth pick is very different than 20-something. One of the things that I think it would be really important, and you as a former head coach and, and know it very well with that position, I think it would take a lot of work before. And I'm not a big believer in, in having a quarterback dictate the running of the organization. I have always had a lot of respect for Matt and I've always communicated with him appropriately as I know, as I know Smitty did. And as I know, Dan Quinn did, I think it's very important. I think in this situation, I think it would be very important for Arthur Smith, Terry Fontenot, and quite honestly, Arthur blank, uh, whether anyone wants to agree with that or not, Arthur is looking at this from a long-term perspective as well. And, you know, I am sure knowing, knowing Arthur respectfully as well, he is going to make his, his opinion felt. He's also going to let these guys do their, do their thing. And, and which he did for, for Mike and I, of course, when we were when picking the quarterback, but there's a lot to it. And I think you have to go through all of those levels before you would ever make that choice you would, in my, my mind, you would have to get as odd as this sounds, Brian, I think you'd have to get, you'd have to get a, I'm all right, T I'm all right. You know, coach, uh, you know, I think I could beat this guy out. I'm here for four more years, bring it on. Mm. Cause I'm mm. competitive. Now that's saying one thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> don't know how it plays out if things get dusty. Yeah. Well, Thomas brother, thank you for coming by the show, man. You got, we got to have you on again. This was awesome. I learned a lot about how to, how to operate in the war room. And uh, this was awesome, man. That was great perspective. Uh, And that'll do it for this week's episode of total access to locker room for more insight with the locker room point of view, check out the latest episodes every Wednesday and Friday on Apple and Spotify. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.